Well, uh, welcome again. Glad you guys are all here. And uh, you guys are the smart ones. You beat the uh, weather that's coming later, so you'll be safely home by the time all that hits. But um, we're excited to, to jump into this series, uh, second week in the Too Good to Be True. Before we get into that, <clears throat> I did want to make sure that you know that um, we have our t-shirts in. If you ordered the t-shirts when we had those before and they didn't have your size, and some of you wanted some for children, we, we got those in and they're available now in the lobby. If you wrote your name down on a clipboard, then your name is on a shirt. There, we have set one aside for you. Um, otherwise, feel free to, to uh, go and check those out. $10 a piece. There should be some out in the lobby and in the cafe as well. And, um, and wear those around. We love to see them. I, I don't know if you guys have ever been to like a, um, a park or maybe an airport and you've seen a bunch of people wearing the same shirts and it says like, you know, 25th annual Johnson family reunion, you know, and, and usually those shirts are hideous. They're like bright pink or blue or something. And, but all these people are wearing them with pride because it says, I'm a part of this family and I'm excited about what this family means and what it stands for. And that's what happens when we wear these shirts around in public is we're saying we're, we're a part of a family, this family at Cicero Christian Church, and we're excited about what God is doing among us. And, and we love being a part of this of this family. And so wear, wear these shirts with pride and, and maybe you'll run into somebody who needs a church family, who is looking for a place to belong. And you can invite them into our family. Um, maybe that'll be a conversation starter when you wear your shirts around. So go take advantage of that. Uh, we're going to continue this uh, series, Too Good to Be True. We kind of talked a little bit last week how we, we've all run into situations in life, things that were just too good to be true, right? It it's just seems like such a good idea, it can't possibly work, right? Like, like roundabouts, are, they're such a good idea, no more four-way stops, right? You, you get to just keep going, um, except it's a little too good to be true. If you do a lot of driving in Carmel, uh, you've been terrified going through some of those figure eights and figure... Uh, nines, they're, they're like infinity uh, roundabouts where you just, you just keep going around in circles and it gets a little confusing and not everyone knows how to use them. My favorite is, especially after a snow, um, some of the roundabouts that don't have these monuments in the middle of them, you can see tire tracks going right across the middle. Uh, that's my favorite thing in the, in the world. So <clears throat> great idea. Love the idea of roundabouts. Execution, not always there. And I think sometimes we have that mentality about our faith. We we read some of these promises of God or somebody tells us something about uh, Christianity and about our faith and we kind of go, that's, that's a little too good to be true. I mean, it sounds great. I could live a life of peace and joy and purpose by following Jesus. Sounds great. But it may be a little too good to be true. So we're taking this series. We're just going through one chapter of the Bible in four weeks, John chapter 1. And we're going to look at what John has to say about Jesus and how Jesus kind of takes some of these promises of God or these elements of our faith and makes them so real and puts them right in front of us in a way that, yeah, it's, it's really, it seems too good to be true, but you know what? It's actually true. Today we're going to talk about uh, John's idea that Jesus is life. Jesus is life. He doesn't just give life. Jesus is life. As, as we learned last week when in the first few verses of John, he starts off by saying that the word was with God in the beginning, the Word was God, that everything was made through the Word. And then he's going to start in verse 4 and talk a little bit more about what that Word actually does. So if you have a Bible, I'd love for you to turn to John chapter 1, and we're going to read a few verses here in John 1. In verse 4, it says, In him, that he's still talking about the Word, in him was life. 
and the life was the light of men. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light is something that people are going to be drawn to. He says this, this word, it, it, he carries some kind of life in him that, that people are going to be drawn to. That, that's going to make people kind of think, is, this, is there, he's offering something that I didn't know was really possible. He's offering something that maybe we would look at and go, that's, that's the best possible life. What, what is your view of the best possible life? Have you had those moments where you kind of go, this is, this is as good as it gets. Some, some people do. We use a hashtag on social media, hashtag living my best life. Anybody ever posted one of those? Yes, no, maybe so. Well, let's look at some of those. I've, I've found, found some for you just to give you an idea if you're not a social media person. Um, living my best life photos. Uh, this, is, this is a baby kicked up on the beach. I mean, no bills to pay, no, no cooking or cleaning to do, just kicking it up on the beach. That's, that's the best life. Um, about the next one, uh, I don't know if you can read that, but somebody spent down to their last $14 uh, on a Crunchwrap Supreme and said, worth it, totally worth it. Anybody feel that way about Taco Bell? Yeah, me neither. Okay, next. <clears throat> uh, boarding a plane to Paris for the weekend, right? Well, how many would love that? It would just be a great, great trip. Living my best life. And then, finally... Uh, that is me on my couch, uh, eating from the bowl that my wife made homemade brownies out of, um, best life right there. Most of these moments that we, we would hashtag living my best life are, are moments where we, we are experiencing some level of peace or joy or purpose that, that just seems beyond normal. It's not normal. And that's, that's what makes it so good. It's, it's something that we're experiencing that we don't normally get to experience, and we want to celebrate those moments because sometimes they seem so rare. Like we can't, we can't force those into existence. We can't just wake up Monday and go, I'm going to live my best life today and everything's going to go my way and I'm going to get to, you know, fly to Paris and eat from the brownie bowl. And all. You don't, we don't get to decide those things all the time. Our, our lives are a little more up and down. We have some good moments and some bad moments. And there are a lot of really even level boring moments in the middle, right? But what Jesus comes to offer when John says, in him was life, and that life was the light of men, sounds a little different than probably our normal experience. How many of you are looking forward to Monday morning, tomorrow? You're ready to go, excited about what Monday holds for you? Jesus is coming to offer a life that we should be able to wake up every day excited to live this kind of life. Does that sound too good to be true? I mean, it's Monday, right? How does he do this? Well, let's, let's find out. The, the word that John uses for life, there's two different words that are used in the New Testament for life, and they're both English word life, but in Greek, the original Greek, there are two different words. When I say that stuff, when you guys are like, who does he think he is? Quoting Greek to us, look, okay, I don't know Greek, but I know how to study, and I found this out, and so I'm sharing with you what I've studied, but don't look at me like, oh, he's some kind of like erudite philosopher. I'm not, okay? Go and look up erudite. Uh, later on too. <clears throat> I looked up these words and I found out there's two different Greek words. You could do the same thing. Two different Greek words for life. Uh, one is bios. You guys familiar with that kind of a prefix? Biology, biography, bios is a, a word for life. And the other is zoe. Maybe you've heard, uh, connect, can connect that to zoology, a study of, 
of life. So these are two words that are sort of used interchangeably. Um, in, in English, we just say life, you know, but in Greek, they, they meant something very different. In, in Greek, bios is a natural life. It's like a physical, natural life. It's dependent on nature. Bios has to have certain things in order to survive. It has to have, you know, water and food and, you know, air and all of these things in order for bios to survive. Zoe, on the other hand, is something very different. Zoe is like this eternal kind of life. This, it's more of a spiritual and less of a physical. It's, it's more of a life that goes on and on and on. In the Garden of Eden, when God created Adam and Eve, and he breathed into them the breath of Zoe, this eternal quality of life. And then he put this tree in the garden for them. And he said, you, you can eat from this tree every single day if you want to. It's called the tree of Zoe. This, this eternal kind of life that, that is not about, you know, your physical health and, and eating and drinking. This is about something beyond that, this eternal kind of life. And so when Adam and Eve sin during, and, and the fall happens, they have to be separated from that tree of Zoe. They can't, they can't have Zoe just within reach anymore. This gift of God was taken away from them. And I think ever since then, we've been as human beings, sort of finding, trying to find a way back to that. How do we get back to this gift of God, this eternal kind of life that, that is made available um, through Jesus? So Jesus uh, says in John eleven twenty five, 25, it's after his friend Lazarus died, and he's talking with Lazarus's sister, Martha, and he says to her, I am the resurrection and the zoe. I am the resurrection and the life and whoever believes in me, even though he dies, yet shall he live. What? That doesn't make any sense, does it? Because death is the opposite of life, right? How, how can you have death and, and also life? Well, when we're talking about bios, life, then yeah, death is the end of that. Death is a natural end to bios. But Jesus says, even though he dies, yet shall he Zoe. He, you, can, you, you can have this life that death can't touch. That death doesn't have anything to do with Zoe. It, 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 Zoe's beyond even death. And this doesn't really make sense to us because of the way we think about life. So I want to try to demonstrate it with a, a couple of science principles. Uh, there's a principle of science called entropy. Do you guys know what entropy means? Entropy means that naturally... Through the course of how our, our world works, everything is going to decay. And over time, things will fall into more disorder and chaos rather than more order and organization. That's, that's, a, that's kind of a, a principle of the way our world works, entropy. And it describes bios, doesn't it? Uh, you know, a, a, a plant that grows and bears fruit, but then what happens? It begins to decay, and it, and it dies and goes into disorder, and the, the different components of it start to break down and becomes dirt and all, all of that stuff. This is what happens in my home uh, with Legos. I don't know if you guys have Legos in your home, but Legos in our home look, look kind of like this. This is, this is pretty normal. We have lots of this, lots of this just pieces laying around. At one time, 
These pieces came in a package, and they were all labeled, and my kids would open them with a lot of excitement, and they would breathe life into these things, and they would put them together, and they would make something awesome out of them, right? A, a truck or a spaceship or, or Harry Potter's house or something, I don't know, stuff like that. But over time, those things that they built, sort of entropy took over, and we get this, Right? This is what happens to Lego structures in our home because we don't use uh, craggle. I don't know if you guys have any Lego fans out there. We don't use the, we don't super glue them together. And if you don't do that, over time, they just, entropy takes over and, and they end up in pieces like this. That's bios. That's normal. That's natural. That's sort of how the world works. Zoe is exactly the opposite of that. Zoe would take something like this and you could walk away from this pile of Legos, and you could come back later, and it would look like this. That's, that's how Zoe works. How, how much would that freak you out if you, you just left a pile of Legos on the floor, and a week later you come back and you've got Yoda kind of standing there? You would think, that's not natural, right? Something must have happened to put that together, but that's Zoe. That's exactly what Jesus came to offer is this life that instead of leading to death and disorder and chaos, it actually leads to more life. It, it, it gives you more as you go instead of less as you go. Doesn't that sound good? Doesn't that sound a little different than the life that we live? We kind of look at our life, our lifespan. I don't know how many of you spend some time thinking about the, the future and how, how long you think you're going to live on this earth. And we've got our 80 years or 90 years or however long you think you're going to make it. And and it feels like the closer you get to those numbers, you, you have less. You have less life available to you. That's bios. But what Jesus comes to offer, what Zoe means, is that the longer you go in relationship with Jesus, the more life you have. The more life is available to you. A certain kind of life, an eternal kind of life that is characterized by peace and joy and purpose. You get more of that as you go. More peace more joy, more purpose as you go. That sounds really good. How do we get Zoe? Well, John's, John's going to tell us. Let's uh, continue in, in John chapter 1. We're going to skip down to verse 14 and read a few verses here. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So, so there's this really important concept that John is introducing of grace and truth, and that Jesus, who is life, he is Zoe, he comes to offer this ever-increasing peace and joy and purpose to people who are in relationship with him. And he comes full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. And then later on, Jesus says about himself in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus' grace and truth is sort of like a doorway that he opens up for us into Zoe, into this eternal kind of life, this, this ever-increasing peace and joy and purpose. How do we get there? Grace and truth. We experience grace and truth from Jesus. And that is our open doorway into this eternal quality of life. Grace and truth 
connects us to life. So we need to understand what grace and truth are. We need to ask ourselves some really serious questions about have I received and experienced grace and truth of Jesus? And am I reflecting that grace and truth onto the people around me? So we're going to receive and reflect it. Okay, grace, let's just start with some very simple definitions. Grace is, I receive what I do not deserve. I receive what I do not deserve. That's grace. You receive love and acceptance from God, not because you deserve it, but because he is love. Without grace, we cannot be at peace with God. We will always be trying to earn his love through our actions and always falling short. Without grace, we fall into this, well, I need to have more good deeds than bad deeds so I can, I can make sure that God loves me. Grace says God loves you because he is love, because he made you in his image. That's grace. I receive what I do not deserve. Truth says I have a foundation on which to build my life, which to build my decisions. I have a foundation for why I do what I do. What am I going to do and why will I do it? All my decisions, my actions, my behaviors are built on something that will not collapse or fail. Without truth, we're left to figure out what's best on our own. We're left to try to earn God's grace. But when we have truth, we have this understanding of who we're created to be, how we're supposed to live, and it's very clear. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus had just finished giving this long sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, where he said some really challenging and, and awesome things like love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you and um, give to those who can't give back to you. And at the end of this, Jesus says, uh, listen, here, here's, let, me, let me wrap this up. Anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on a rock. And then the rains come and the winds blow, but that house will not fall. But anyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. And when the rains come and the floods come, that house is going to fall. And Jesus is saying that my words, my words which are truth, you remember John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. My words are truth. And if you will build your house on it, if you will put my truth into action, you will have a foundation underneath you that cannot fall. And so the questions we need to ask, am I receiving grace and truth from Jesus? This was Jesus' mission in every interaction that he has. John does a great job of developing this theme throughout his gospel. If you read John chapter 3, this Pharisee comes to Jesus and begins to ask him some questions because he can't understand how Jesus can do what he's doing and say what he's saying, they don't seem to match up with his understanding. And Jesus looks at Nicodemus and offers his, him some truth. He says, here's the truth, Nicodemus. You're not as educated as you think you are. You, you're, you have missed something critical about who God is and what he wants for us. That's the truth. And then he extends grace. He says, but I can show you a better way. I can show you a better way. In the next chapter, John chapter 4, Jesus meets a woman at the well. Samaritan woman he shouldn't even be talking to. And he shares some truth with her. Listen, I happen to know that you've been married five times and that right now you're living with somebody that's not your husband. I, let me share some truth with you. But then he extends some grace and he invites her into a relationship with God. Grace and truth. In John chapter 8, we're still in the same book. John is developing this theme of grace and truth. The, the Pharisees bring to Jesus a woman who is caught in the act of adultery. 
And Jesus extends some grace and he says, I'm not here to condemn you. And then he speaks some truth and says, now go and leave this sinful lifestyle behind. Grace and truth, grace and truth, grace and truth, together, not one or the other, but together. If we're going to reflect grace and truth onto people, which I think is when Jesus says, you are the light of the world. He says that to his disciples. John has just said that Jesus was life and that light, life was the light of men. That we, when we extend grace and truth to people, we're shining a light on Jesus so other people can see him and see what he looks like. If we're going to extend grace and truth, we have to receive it first. So let me ask you, have you received God's grace? Have you received God's grace? Are you convinced that he loves you just as you are? That there's nothing that you can do to earn that love? You don't need to get your life right before you come to Jesus. That invitation is open in there. Have you received God's grace? And are you living on his truth? Are you living on his truth? Are you living a life based on the grace that you've received that because of the grace I've received, then whatever you say, I'll do. Whatever kind of life you've called me to, I'm in. Have you received God's grace and truth through Jesus? Now, some of us, uh, when it comes to reflecting this grace and truth, will say, well, I'm, I'm really more of a truth person. I'm really good at just telling people the truth. And I'm glad there are some grace people out there because that's just not me. And we've kind of chosen a side. And, and, and we've said, I'll, I'll just be the truth, the truth person. And others have said, well, I'll, I'm a more of a grace person. You know, it's easy for me to just love and be kind and love and be kind. I'm really more of a grace person. I'm glad there are some truth people out there. I don't really like them, but I'm glad they're out there. And I'll let them do truth and I'll do grace. But these two things don't work when we separate them. They don't work when we separate them. Truth without grace is mean. And grace without truth is meaningless. Truth without grace is condemnation. And grace without truth is compromise. Truth without grace is like a prison. And grace without truth is chaos. So for those of you that would just say, well, I'm just a truth person. Well, let me speak some truth to you for a moment. Stop it. <laughs> you are leaving in your wake wounded, condemned, and disillusioned people because you have set them up to believe that all that matters is do good, don't do bad. And if you do more good than bad, you'll be fine. And if you do more bad than good, you're toast. That's all that matters. That's what truth without grace has set them up for. We, we try to give ourselves credit for reflecting half of Jesus. Well, at least I'm reflecting half of Jesus. No, we're reflecting a broken, distorted version of Jesus when we go truth without grace. So knock it off. And here's the grace for you. I get that you have a heart for truth, and I love that. We need people who are going to stand on truth. So you're, you're welcome here. You're still a part of the family. We still love you. And we're here to walk with you as you learn to walk in grace and truth. And for those who would say, well, I'm just a grace person. That's just who I am. I, I, I just show love. I don't like conflict. Well, you're, you're 
confusing people. You're sending a message that doesn't have a foundation on which to stand. And it leaves people lost and wondering, well, okay, I'm loved, but what am I supposed to do? I guess I just get to do whatever I want. I guess I just get to figure this out for myself. And that was never the plan. Jesus gave us a plan. He told us how to live. He showed us how to live. And when we don't include that in our conversations with people, when we leave out the truth, we're confusing them. So here's, here's what I would say. Just stop it. You have to be able to speak truth into people's lives because without that, it's just chaos and compromise and meaningless. So we see your heart for people. I'm really glad that you love people that the way you do, and, and we need people like that. There's a seed of something really good there, and you're, you're a part of the family, and we love you, and we'll walk with you as you learn to walk in grace and truth. We don't get to pick one or the other. If we're going to reflect Jesus, we have to do both. And here's, here's what it really comes down to for most of us. For those of us that say we're truth people, we have a really hard time receiving the grace of God. That's, that's, that's why we are the way we are. We have a really hard time accepting the truth that God loves me just as I am, that God sees my brokenness, he sees my mess, he sees my sin, and he loves me just as I am, that in my sinfulness, he sent Jesus to die for me. As Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to get our act together. He sacrificed for us while we were at our worst. And people who say they're truth people a lot of times are people that just have a hard time accepting that because somehow the way that we were raised or the way we were taught has convinced us it's all about my actions. I have to do good and not bad. And if I do good and not bad, I'm fine. And if I do bad and not good, I'm not fine. And we reflect that onto the people around us. So our relationships with other people become based on their actions. If you're good to me, I'll love you. If you're bad to me, I will not. And, we're, and, and we hold on to that truth. And if that's you, you need to back up and you need to examine the grace of God. And you need to be grateful that God doesn't work that way because here's the truth. One sin, one sin is all it takes to separate you from God. There's, there's no adding and subtracting like good versus bad and weighing that out. One is all it takes to separate you from God. And yet he has invited you into a relationship with him in spite of your one sin or two or a million. He's invited you in. That's grace. And for people who say, I'm a grace, I'm just a grace person. I don't like conflict. I'm not going to challenge anybody. For those people who are like that, most of the time it's because we have a really hard time accepting the truth of God. We have a really hard time accepting that God has laid out a lifestyle for us that he showed us through Jesus. And this is what he's called us to. And we need to stick with that. We need to trust God's word when it says how we're supposed to live. And we need to live the way that Jesus taught us to live. We have a hard time accepting that. We want to be grace people. Well, God loves me just the way I am, so it doesn't really matter what I do. Of course it matters. Of course it matters. Because when you're adopted into the family, you're expected to live like the family lives. And Jesus made it very clear what kind of lifestyle we're supposed to live. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. And if, and if we can't do that, if we can't embrace that truth, then, then we're just going to be grace people. We're going to show people a lot of love and kindness, and we're going to leave them in the dark when it comes to what they're supposed to do next. And it's confusing, and it's chaotic. 
heard a story Andy was telling me this week about a missionary family that they heard about that they were in a, uh, one country for many, many years and they had a housekeeper uh, in their home, which was very common in their culture. Most people had a housekeeper. And they wanted this housekeeper. They wanted to have a good relationship with her, so they just, they just poured out a lot of love on her. They were super kind to her. They were really, really good to her. And they didn't want to damage or risk this relationship because she had to work in their home, so they, they, they never brought up their faith. They never tried to push anything on her. They just loved her. And when their time came for them to leave the mission field and they went home, people gathered around and a lot of people were saying thank you and hugging them and thank you for sharing the gospel with me. And this housekeeper came to them and she didn't hug them. She said, why didn't you tell me? You came to tell everyone else the gospel, but you never told me. Why? Her interpretation of that was you didn't love me enough to tell me the truth. So for grace, people, we have to be very aware that grace without truth is just not helpful. That love is both. Grace and truth ultimately got me through college. When, when I arrived at uh, Johnson University in 1994, I had, uh, I had nothing. I had what I had put in my car. That was it. I had no money. I didn't, I didn't have a bank account. I showed up, and the first thing they told me to do was, you need to go see Hazel. Hazel was the financial administrator at our school, and Hazel sent me down, and she said, okay, this isn't free. <laughs> Here's what it's going to cost for you to go to school here. How much can you pay? And I was like, this much. How's that? Is that good? She's like, no, that's not going to cut it. Here's what you're going to have to do. The maximum hours of work-study hours you can work is seven I'm going to make a special example in your case. You're going to get 11 hours of work study you can work on campus. Every dime of that needs to go to your account, okay? That's not for going out to the movies. That, that's to pay for your school bill. And you probably should consider getting an off-campus job. And you need to work, and you need to put it, and then, work, and then I'll sit down with you, and we're going to fill out financial aid for them. So we did that. I got an off-campus job. I worked at Chick-fil-A. I worked my full amount of hours on campus. I put everything I could towards my account. At the end of the semester, we would have this conversation, and she would say, okay, here's how much you've paid in. Here's what we got from financial aid. Here's what you still owe, a couple thousand dollars. How are you going to pay that? No idea. I got nothing. My parents got nothing. We, that, I don't know what to do. And she said, all right. Go ahead and enroll for next semester. We'll figure it out. I would enroll. We'd have the same conversation. Here's how much it's going to cost. You're going to have to work really, 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 really hard. You're going to have to pay as much as you can. We'll do the financial aid thing. We'll see how it goes. At the end of the semester, here's what you paid in. You did good. You worked hard. Here's what you got from financial aid. You're still short. 13 semesters of that. And somehow, I graduated with less than $3,000 in student loans. I have no idea where the money came from. Zero clue. I just received a lot of grace and truth. The truth every time was, you're going to have to work really hard. You're going to have to put everything you can into this. And then I received a lot of grace. Somebody, somewhere along the way, paid for me to go to college. And I don't know who it was. No idea. Grace and truth got me through. If it had only been grace, I wouldn't have worked hard. And I, and I wouldn't have a value on the education that I experienced. If it had only been truth, I'd have been out after the first semester. Grace and truth, that's what people need. That's what you need. So let me just wrap up by asking you this. Are, are you experiencing the kind of life that Jesus came to offer? This, this life that rather than 
decaying over time, it actually creates new things in you over time. That your peace is increasing. Your joy is increasing. Your sense of purpose is increasing. Are you experiencing that life? If you are, praise God for that because you obviously have walked through the door of grace and truth. If you're not experiencing that, my guess is that you are struggling to either receive grace or receive truth. You're struggling to know that God loves you just as you are, and you're struggling to build your life based on the example and teachings of Jesus Christ, one or the other. So if you're not living that life, which one is it? If you're, if you're experiencing both and you've received grace and truth, then my question is, are other people seeing Christ in you? Are other people being drawn to this life of more peace and more joy and more purpose because of you? Because Jesus said, you will be the light of the world. You're going to be the ones that shine a light on me because you're going to extend grace and truth to the people around you all the time. And they're going to wonder, where does that come from? And you're going to tell them, are you, have you received grace? Do you know? Do you know? that you're loved, that you're accepted just as you are, that your history doesn't disqualify you from the love of God. Do you know that? And are you building your life on the teachings and life example of Jesus? If so, I'm, I'm excited for you. I'm happy for you. You're, you're living a life then of more peace and more joy and more purpose all the time. If not, I, I just encourage you to take a minute as we close this morning. Would you go ahead and stand with me? We're going to close with a prayer <clears throat> and a song. And as, as we sing this song here in just a few minutes, I just encourage you to take this before God. If you feel like maybe you've struggled to receive his grace, just take that to him. Just confess that to him now. Just say, God, I... I don't know. I don't know that I've really accepted the truth that you love me just as I am. Maybe you've not made a decision to build your life on the teachings of Jesus. I encourage you to take that to him now, confess that to him, and just say, look, I, I, I'm all about your grace, but I really struggle with your truth. And just ask the Holy Spirit to convict you and to lead you into something better. And if you're there with both grace and truth, ask God, who is it? Who have you put in my life that I'm supposed to be extending grace and truth to in a way that points them to Christ? Ask for a name. And when that name comes up, make sure that in your relationship with him, you're not all truth and you're not all grace, but you're both just like Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this teaching, for the way that John really set us up here to understand who Jesus is and what he brings to us. And as we close this morning, Father, my prayer for all of us is that we would experience your grace and truth. Maybe we have in the past, and we just need to experience it again today. And I pray if that's the case, that we would, we would embrace that in a fresh, new way today so that we can enter into this Zoe, this life that you've offered us. And Father, if there are people who have never experienced your grace and truth, God, I pray that you would bring them to that this morning through the power of your spirit, through the community of believers, through the teaching of your word. And may... May people walk into this eternal kind of life today. We love you. We thank you. And we pray that you would use us to shine a light on Jesus to everyone that we meet. In Christ's name, amen.